For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Again, it's a joy to be with you on this second Sunday of the Advent season. We are continuing our sermon series this morning, begun last week, involving reflections on specific Advent hymns and songs. Last week, we heard from Father David on Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, the song that will be our procession into the world throughout this season of preparation. This morning, our focus will be on the song that opened our worship and will open our worship through this season, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, in addition to being perhaps the most famous of the ones that we will consider in this series, is also the most ancient. The words that we sing are a paraphrase written in the 19th century by a man named John Mason Neal as a translation of Latin words that date much, much later. The lyrics we sang this morning are based upon what was known as the O Antiphons, seven stanzas that were sung during the service of Vespers on the days leading up to Christmas Eve. They date back to at least the 7th or 8th century, perhaps even farther. And these seven stanzas each focus upon a particular title for Jesus. O Wisdom, O Lord, O Root of Jesse, O Key of David, O Morning Star, O Emmanuel, God with us. Now, John Mason Neal was part of this group called the Oxford, Oxford Movement that are very important in the history of our tradition in Anglicanism. And at its best, the Oxford movement was this attempt in the 19th century to recover the treasures of old for the church of their day, to connect back to the traditions and convictions of the early church, earlier centuries, and bring them forward, renew them for the current day. Now, Neil was a part of that, especially around music and hymns. And interestingly enough, Partly out of a dislike for evangelical hymns, the likes of which Charles Wesley would have written, who we talked about last week, Neil thought he would take these ancient Latin and Greek hymns and translate them into English for the church of his day so that they would have good theology and solid teaching in their songs without all that subjective, sentimental feeling, you know. Now, Neil did this with a bunch of hymns from both the Eastern and Western church. And of these songs, he once wrote, I will make no apology for their length, <laughs> but I hope that they will be a solace to anchorites on their mountains, monks in their cells, and missionaries girding themselves for martyrdom. Sounds like an intense fellow. <laughs> Yet there is no denying that with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Neil's recovery of this ancient hymn, Forged Gold. The song, now with so many different iterations, different versions, different lyrics, beyond Neil's, continues to resonate throughout the English-speaking church and beyond. It's been translated into a multitude of languages. And part of the appeal of the song relates to its melody, of course. Now, musical historian Mary Berry, who I am hoping is the same Mary Berry who uh, judged a British baking show, but I don't think so, um, discovered that the melody that Thomas Helmore paired to Neil's words 
which we continue to sing as we sung it this morning, that that melody has its roots actually in a funeral setting that would have been sung by Franciscan nuns in procession at a burial service. And that context makes sense of the kind of mournful tenor of the music, doesn't it? That sits in tension with the call to rejoice. The lyrics of the song implore the people of God to rejoice at Emmanuel's coming. Yet the melody, the tenor of the music leads us into mournful procession. A subtle reminder of the way reality does not yet reflect the fullness of Christ's coming. That tension in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is at the heart of the Advent season. It's at the heart of much of the church's experience here and now. We live in, with the joy of Christ coming in the flesh, a reality we'll soon celebrate at Christmas, and in hopeful expectation of his coming again and this kingdom that he will bring. Yet we wearily journey now through a broken world, through the valley of the shadow of death. A few weeks back, the Sunday before Christ the King Sunday, we had a service of lament that morning. And since then, reading and praying through the various laments that people have submitted in worship has been a sacred thing. And it has been sobering to see the heaviness with which many of us are living, personally and relationally, as well as connected to larger realities in the world carrying sadness while we also seek to live faithfully, authentically with hope. This Advent tension embedded in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is where I'd like to focus our attention for just a few minutes this morning. And as we set our attention here, I want to group our thinking around two headings. First, life among felled trees. And second, life with the hope of new growth. First, life among felled trees. The second stanza of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is printed on the front of your bulletin, uses the image of the rod of Jesse. That's the title given for Jesus. And the word rod, which means something different to us today, relates to this older translation of the Hebrew word, which is rendered as shoot or branch in the opening verse of Isaiah chapter 11 the passage from which this image originates. And you'll notice there in the reading from Isaiah 11 that this image of the branch or shoot is related to the picture of a stump, a tree that has been cut off, reduced to its roots. This same image is used earlier in chapters of Isaiah describing the situation of Israel and their disconnection from the words and ways of God And so their alienation from his promises, the promises he brings. And Isaiah chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 describes this. It says, this will continue, this sense of disconnection, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. There's a a grace note at the end there. The image of a stump, a felled tree, is not just the image of devastation in general, but it's an image of loss, specifically, of disappointment. 
You think of the shade that was once offered, the greenery, the wonder of a majestic tree, reduced. It's an image of hopes that have been shattered and ruined. Once there were signs of growth and possibility and life, and that has all come to naught. It's not just the absence of hope, but it's loss. Some of you know what that feels like. In August 1945, in the city of Hiroshima, and in the the months that followed the use of the first ever atomic bomb, it was said and it was believed that nothing would grow in the area for the next 75 years. The devastation of the initial blast, as well as the ongoing effects of radiation, made that claim an easy one to believe. Where once there had been playgrounds and parks, gardens and markets, there was now the leveling of nearly every structure to its foundations, to its roots. There was the scorching of the earth and the poisoning of the water and ground. To connect it with the second stanza of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it is a hellish picture. It is a picture of life under Satan's tyranny, perhaps. Life under the reign, the rule of one who is opposed to God's purposes for flourishing goodness and peace. And connecting that language to Isaiah's description of Israel, we can say that, it's, that the nation has, through its own disobedience to God, enslaved itself to this tyranny and is entering then into this hellish experience, cut off from the life, the blessing that God promises. In this Advent moment, if our shared laments are any indication, aspects of your experience connect with this idea of being cut off from hope, life, and blessing. It is not foreign to us. We have relationships with family members, parents, children, siblings, spouses that confound our hopes and our desires. Where we long for intimacy and health, we experience dysfunction and pain. In our own lives, we see ourselves doing things that we cannot keep from doing. We have ourselves caught in patterns that we cannot change as much as we would like to. We feel in ourselves things that we know are disordered, but we are powerless in some way to move forward. At the macro level of our city, our nation, our globe, we see intractable problems that resist any attempt to change them. We have longings for something more, just, more true, better. But the world and we ourselves often seem locked in stasis, listless, without hope. In a poignant sermon, the writer Michael Gerson, who recently passed away, describes his own experiences of depression. And he commented there in this sermon that in the prison of his sadness, realism seemed to require hopelessness. Like if you are paying attention, if you're seeing things clearly, you should lack hope. Life among felled trees. Gerson's experience of depression, a disease from which he suffered, 
reveals the way that there is not necessarily this neat connection to be made between our own wrongdoing and life under Satan's tyranny. Our experiences of broken hope, of despair and sadness are not necessarily the result of our direct sinfulness. Some of you may need to hear that. Yet the reality is, is that we are born into a broken world, and we are all of us caught up in its brokenness, in its sin, and we're implicated in it. Isaiah 11 comes in the context of sustained, pervasive human failure from like the leadership of society all the way down. That's our context, is it not? And the result of it for them and so often for us is that we are cut off from hope, from a sense of life, having actively cut ourselves off. And the season of Advent is a season of repentance and penitence as we heard in our gospel reading. It's an opportunity to acknowledge this mournful reality that John the Baptist's words to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, in some ways are addressed to us. The very melody of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel draws us into this sadness, leads us into a recognition of the brokenness of our situation. And this season from that place provokes this longing, acknowledging the ways that our experience doesn't match what we would hope for, acknowledging that we do not match what we would hope for, The world and we ourselves are not as we would desire. We are waiting for something more, for something better. Living among felled trees. Yet that is not the full extent of this season's possibilities. That we live in such a situation is not all that can be said about our experience as the church here and now, today. We also live with the hope of new growth. The city flower of Hiroshima is oleander. Blooming in Japan in the summer, oleander flowers blossomed throughout the city and its ruins in August of 1946 just one year after the bomb was dropped. In the place where hope and where life seemed forever ruined, these buds were welcomed as the first signs of new growth and possibility. Isaiah 11 begins with this shoot, emerging from the stump and roots of what had been. And the unfolding of this vision through the verses of our reading are a description of the promises of God blossoming, centered on this one person who will, in the language of O come, O come, Emmanuel, liberate the people of God from this tyranny. He's the one to whom the nations of the earth will rally and who will usher in this reign of justice and peace that we see so beautifully described. Everything about the language in the verses of Isaiah 11 is meant to communicate that in this person, in this one person, God has drawn near and is now fulfilling his promises in a more complete, more substantive way. 
So for example, take verse 2, the language of the Spirit. The original hearers, readers of Isaiah would have been familiar with the Spirit and the Spirit's movement upon prophets or kings for these key and critical moments where they needed to be empowered for service and leadership. But the language here of the Spirit resting, abiding with this person in a sustained and continuous way, that is new. That is an evolution, a development of the notion of God's presence with his people. And so the idea here is that with this one, with this root of Jesse, God is moving in a more complete, more sustained, substantive way. Something new is happening. And our reading climaxes with the description of the one who is the shoot or sapling now reigning as a banner, a sign for all people, extending the knowledge of the Lord over the whole earth to all nations. In the context of our lives in this Advent season, the presence of this shoot, the, the root of Jesse, is to be understood as current reality. In Jesus Christ, the shoot of Jesse has come forth, has emerged. He is the one through whom God's purposes have now drawn near. That's the context in which we sing the song, Emmanuel has come. That is why the call is to rejoice, to rejoice now in the midst of what seems to be nothing but felled trees in the brokenness of our world. The declaration of the song, the declaration of the church, the declaration of the gospel is that something new and beautiful and true has taken root in the world. That God has been with us is revealed. The promises of God are now being fulfilled. And it is this context, the context of this shoot bursting forth new life and growth that marks out our waiting now. It tinges our waiting with hope, with expectation, with confidence. We don't wait in passivity or wait in fatalism. We wait in anticipation, like on the balls of your feet, with the life of Christ, with the cross, with the resurrection, giving shape to our waiting here and now today. New life has blossomed, and so our expectation takes on the flavor of hope the tyranny of hell is being broken as people are liberated in the name of Jesus, as has happened in your own life where there is forgiveness of sin, freedom of shame, and the gift of new life. Carl Henry, the evangelical theologian, said Christians, early Christians, didn't say, look what the world is coming to. They said, look what has come into the world. The shoot of Jesse, Jesus Christ, Look and see what a remarkable thing is happening. And this is not the general hope of abstract possibility or something like that. This is, the language is very clear, the root of Jesse. This is King Jesus in the line of David, reigning and ruling with justice and equity, in whose kingdom the promises of Yahweh, Israel's God, are coming to fruition. It's the knowledge of the Lord that Jesus provides that is liberative, that is freeing of us, of uh, the people of God. This is the one whose coming we rejoice in and in whose coming we joyfully anticipate. Yes, you and I live 
among felled trees. We've cut some of them down ourselves. Yet new life in Jesus is springing up. So you can be encouraged and we can endure in the hope that we have been given. Number 17 tells the story of how a certain group of Israelites in the wilderness were questioning the leadership of Moses and his brother Aaron. And in this remarkable scene, as a sign of God's favor and presence with Moses and Aaron specifically, Aaron's staff, this dead piece of wood cut off from any source of life, blossom, buds, and produces fruit. Almonds in this case. Think about the effect that that might have had on Aaron and on Moses. The confidence, the expectation such a sign would have engendered in them moving forward. In Christ, the promises of God have similarly blossomed in the world and in your life. Where there seemed to be no way, he has made a way. So through faith in Christ and by the presence of the Holy Spirit, your life now can bear fruit. The same spirit that rests upon him in this steady, continuous fashion is available to you. The same faithfulness and righteousness that clothes him, you can now put on such that you and I can rejoice now, even in suffering, even in a broken world. We are waiting for something more. It's true for the fullness of his coming. But there is new life now in Jesus. And we have the assurance of these promises coming to full maturation. In the end, in the book of Revelation, in the closing chapters of the Bible, what we see is the full flowering of God's faithfulness manifest in, in healing and peace for all people. And at the center of the new heavens and the new earth, what do we see? But the tree of life like the tree that Jesus hung on, but now verdant and fruitful, vibrant. The blessings of God, the purposes and promises of God realized. So we made Israel now in Jesus, belonging as the people of God. We rejoice and we set our trust on him who is the root of Jesse, knowing that in the words of Paul, the God of hope, will fill us with joy and peace here and now in the waiting so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Yes, come quickly. But rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come and shall come again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.